Okay. This evening, um, my sermon is about peace. I think this might be on a little too much. All right. <clears throat> my savior is, or my sermon tonight is about God's peace. Um, the definition of peace is freedom from disturbance, tranquility, calm, and quiet. A time when there is no war or a war has ended. To me, peace means a peace of mind because of the promise from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I have peace of mind due to the fact that I don't have to worry about what happens when I die. I know that I will go to be with my Lord in heaven. Biblical peace is a state of inner repose and quietness, even in adverse circumstances. That indicates a, nat a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Biblical peace is not just the absence of conflict, but a reflection of God's will for our lives. It is a fruit of the Spirit that we cannot create on our own. Here are some questions to ask yourself about peace. Do I have peace of mind? Is your mind controlled by the Spirit of God? Or is your mind filled with a jumble of unforgiven memories, unresolved plans, and frustrating disappointments? Can you say that your mind is at peace? Are your feelings at peace? Feelings do matter. How we feel affects how we live and how we relate to others. Do you feel at peace right now? Are you free from anger, nagging fears, frustration, and envy? Do you have a sense of peace about your desires? Are you clear about God's will for your life? Do you trust in his daily guidance? Are you certain about your goals? Are you free from conflict between what you want and what you sense God wants? Since your relationship with people has so much to do with how you experience peace, do you let others rob you of your inner peace? Are you at peace with others? And what about circumstances? Do you allow circumstances to disrupt your ability to be at peace? Do you remain calm in the face of trouble? Finally, is your body at peace? Are you strained by stress, agitation, or nervousness? Or are you free from tension, churning stomach, tight muscles, and high blood pressure? Have you a sense of calmness in your body? This is what an inventory of true peace is, or the wholeness of true peace. Note that this inventory includes the whole being, mind, emotions, will, body, relationships, and circumstances. That's because true peace is wholeness, mental health, emotional stability, volitional integration, or the relating to the use of one's will and physical well-being. 
When this quality of peace reigns in you, it cannot be debilitated by people or circumstances. True peace cannot be broken by life's storms. Untainted by care, untouched by the highest surges of sorrow, unstained by unforgiven sin, true peace actually grows deeper with the challenges and trials of life. Do you have this kind of pervasive peace? In Numbers, um, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6 and verse 26, it says, The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. There was a time that few things bothered me the way things do now. When I had my first checking account <clears throat> and was starting to pay my bills, I found myself seriously worrying about not being able to pay all my bills at the end of the month. And then it, I realized that I did not borrow any money from a mobster or someone that would come and break my legs or cause me physical pain if I did not pay them. So I came to the realization that I did not have to be so consumed by the thought of paying my bills. That was a great relief to me as far as some of the stress in my life. I also applied this thought to some of the other aspects of my life. I didn't care what other people thought about my clothes or my hair. If they did not like my clothes, then I would be willing to wear whatever they wanted to buy for me. Life is not a fashion show or a beauty contest. Somewhere along the line, though, I have lost that ability to let things roll off me like water off a duck's back. I find myself getting mad at myself mostly for the stupidest things. I also seem to have no tolerance for ignorant people. I don't know why I let these things bother me. Why is it that I don't know more about the peace of God? So many of us share a longing for lasting peace, but we are unsure of the litmus test of salvation, abiding inner peace that endures difficult people and disturbing circumstances. There is a peace that comes with the salvation of the Lord. Those who are saved do not have to fear death. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, it says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? When I think back over the years, I think of all the people that I have met. There are not many that seemed to be at peace. Why is it that true peace is a rare trait in most people? Many people are going through life worried about so many things that they really should not. They are always concerned, <clears throat> they are always concerned with what other people think, or they were concerned with their appearance. They worried about the clothes that they wore or how they looked to others. Why do some people concern themselves with what others think? They feel they have to prove something to others or that they must behave in a certain way in front of others. Who cares? I don't care what others think about me. As I said before, I was not here, not put here to be in a fashion show or a beauty contest. There is only one whose opinion of me causes me concern. The person is, that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one that cannot be deceived because he knows who you are on the inside. You can dress up, have a clean appearance, always go to church. But when you go to work where you treat others like dirt, the Lord knows what you are doing. He knows what is in your heart. 
He cannot be deceived by a false front. I worked with a man that got upset when someone would mention Satan's number, the number of the beast. He would say almost everyone seems to know what Satan's number is. Do they know what the number of God is? A co-worker of ours had passed away, and he went. To, <clears throat> we went to her funeral service, and when I saw him there, he was dressed up in a suit and tie. I also noticed when the collection plate was passed around, he put what I considered a <clears throat> good fair amount of money in to the plate. But whenever we were at work, he treated others terribly. He would be rude and say rotten things to them. He appeared to have an attitude toward all the employees that were there. What I'm getting at is that when he was in church, he put on a false front. He dressed nicely and put a good bit of money in the collection plate, and it seemed to me that he thought if he dressed nice and gave generously, that he would gain some kind of favor with God. We know this to be works. I didn't know how much about God at the time, but I did know enough as far as what God sees, he sees everything. If you act one way in church and then in public or at work, you treat others like dirt, God can see right through that. God sees right into your heart. Then there is, uh, the next section is God's peace. Um, in the book in the Bible, the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 6 says, And I will give peace in the land, and ye shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land. There is one source of that kind of peace. God throughout the Bible, language is stretched to distinguish God's true peace from temperature temporary or transitory peace. Paul talked about peace that surpasses all understanding. Peter offered multiple, uh, multiplied peace to early Christians in his epistle. In each case, it is the same, an effort to set divine peace off and above as something different, something that men and women cannot produce on their own. The Bible is clear. We cannot make peace, but we can receive it. God's peace is superlative, excellent, the greatest, matchless, peerless, supreme, unparalleled, unrivaled, and unsurpassed. It is important that we understand the superlative nature of God's peace as we begin our study of authentic peace. The peace of God is his <clears throat> unrivaled authority. He is the creator, sustainer, and gracious redeemer of the universe. He is omniscient, knowing all from the beginning to the end. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, dependent on nothing and no one else. He is omnipresent, everywhere and yet present to those who allow him into their lives. There is a unity of purpose in the peace of God. The oneness shared by the person of the persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is no discord or disagreement between them, only mutual glorification. There is no panic in heaven. This is what it is meant when we talk about the peace of God. For us, it means accepting the complete control of the one who is in control. 
There is no real peace without a conviction of the sovereignty of God. How do we find this superlative peace, this magnificent peace of God? The peace he shares with the Son and the Holy Spirit, this peace of heaven. The book of Isaiah chapter 26 is a good place to look for this answer. In Isaiah 26, verses 1, 3 through 4, and verse 12, we find these words. In that day, in verse 1, shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for wall and bulwarks. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed in verse 3 on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. <clears throat> in verse 12, Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. It was written as a song for the people of Israel to sing both in repentance and in return to the Lord. Its implication and application for us at the beginning of the 21st century is unmistakable. The people of Judah, and especially of Jerusalem, had abandoned the way of faith in God for dependence on foreign powers such as Aram, for collective strength in each other, or for self-reliance. The result was neither political nor personal peace. They did not realize that security cannot be found in associative strength or sturdy self-reliance. It is not until they understood this that they could return to the Lord, the only source of peace in time of turmoil, and sing of his majesty and might, glory and goodness, providence and power. A mind stayed on God, the third and fourth verses of Isaiah command attention not only because they are familiar, but because they give us secrets to everlasting peace. Keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever. These words of Isaiah have been a cherished promise for God's people through the centuries. We must keep our minds stayed on God. As we start the day, we need only to say, Lord, I belong to you. I have been called out of this world to glorify you, to experience your love and forgiveness, and to know peace in spite of what's going on around me. Lost my spot. There we are. Lord, stay me on yourself. Interrupt me. Stop me permeate my thoughts. Call me back to you and keep me stayed on you. If your mind wanders off, then it wanders off to a place where God wants it to be. Perhaps it wanders to a place where God wants you to deal with something, <clears throat> a person or issue, a relationship, or a problem. Keep your mind on God. Remember that you belong to him. There is one confidence that no one can take from you, and that is your ability to pray without ceasing. This may <clears throat> Things may rage around you, but inside there will be a calm because you can pray your way through it all. You can pray in the midst of uncertainties, conflict, and turmoil. Prayer will stay your mind on God and fill your thoughts with his peace. You can pray before, during, and after challenging conversations with people. 
you also need to allow the Holy Spirit to stay your mind on the Father in the good things. Peace and praise go together. There is a renewed sense of peace in gratitude. Think about God's gift of people he uses to help you. The doors of opportunity that he sets before you. What a wonderful way to live. Jesus knew this secret. He challenged his disciples and he challenges us to first seek the kingdom of God. The book of Matthew tells us this. If we go to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 and read these words, but ye first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The kingdom of God is his sovereignty in action, his reign and rule over everything. We can discover more of God's will from his commandments and from Jesus' life than most people readily acknowledge. A mind stayed on God, set on the kingdom, is a mind with spiritual eyes to see and perceptive ears to hear. Another way we can have the peace of God is a heart filled with trust. The parallelism, because he trusts you, or trust in you, literally translates because in you trust is reposed. Faith throughout the scripture is a gift of the spirit. Excuse me. It is not produced by us. It is received as an endowment from God. It is an astounding thing to think about God's power to engender faith. God is also desirous of imparting his peace to us that he brings forth in us what he wants from us. He produces the staid mind and trust so that we don't miss out on his superlative peace. The people of Judah trusted in human leaders and not in the Lord. They lost the Lord's peace as a result. Note the confession in the book of Isaiah chapter 26 verses 12 through 14. Lord, thou wilt ordain peace for us, for thou also hast wrought all our works in us. O Lord God, O Lord our God, other lords besides thee have had dominion over us, but by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead, they shall not live, they are deceased, they shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them and made all their memory to perish. Experiencing the peace which comes from personal knowledge of God's sovereignty requires putting trust in him, not, leader, not in leaders, friends, mates, or parents. We must trust God and love people and never turn that around. Of course, if we are to love God, we must put our ultimate trust in him only. Peace is broken when we depend on people to provide what only God can provide. In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. People <clears throat> were never meant to be our sources of security. When we demand that they meet all our needs, we make them diminutive gods. We take our staid eyes off of the Lord God and disconnect ourselves from the constant flow of his peace. 
Peace results from a disciplined life of prayer, which manifests intimate fellowship with God and the assurance of adequate resources from Him. Trusting in the sovereign God means living the results up to leaving the results up to Him. Knowing our calling is not to be successful, but to be faithful. And guess what? Real success in life means living without the worry, fretting, or care that comes from trying to control everything ourselves. Dependence on the rock of ages. Isaiah says in the scriptures, for he is an everlasting strength. What he really means is, he is the rock of ages. It is from this reference that Augustus Toplady in 1776 wrote what has become one of the most famous and cherished hymns in Christian history. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Our rock's dependable saving actions provide the fortress-like protection we, are all, we all need during menacing times. In the Old Testament, rock is a broad symbol for divine strength, hence our English translation, everlasting strength. Uh, the next point I plan to make is the Prince of Peace. It is not surprising that us, <clears throat> excuse me, that Isaiah's thought should move from peace through trust to the foundation of that trust in God's strength and salvation. In the scriptures, trust and faith Okay, that's rather redundant. Trust and faith do not exist in a vacuum. Faith is the result of the saving acts of God in the past, present, and future. Salvation is not an occasional intervention by God, but an attribute of God. He is the saving God. This past weekend, I heard someone say, Jesus is the peace we have with God the Father. Isaiah looked back on the saving acts of God in his people's history, but also looked forward with steady eyes for the coming of the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. This is written in the ninth book of Isaiah, verses 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, we have come full circle to the inseparable relation between salvation and peace. The superlative peace that God offers us comes from the Prince of Peace. Christ came in human flesh to reveal how this perfect peace can be lived in complete trust, the absolute surrender of will, the unswerving obedience that is the essence of true peace. He went to the cross to atone for our sins and reconcile us unto, to uh, excuse me and reconcile us to God. Faith is his atoning faith in 
his atoning death brings us forgiveness and a new birth. Life begins all over again. We become new creatures. As our reigning Lord, he becomes the peace of God with us. He has the authority to baptize us and fill us daily with the Holy Spirit. Everything necessary to provide us with perfect peace has been done. Peace comes, with, <clears throat> comes to us as the magnificent gift of the Trinity, the Father's sovereign act of sending his Son and reconciling us through his shed blood, the risen Christ, Lord of our lives, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit indwelling in us. Staying our minds on the triune God gives us superlative peace indeed. Knowing all of this, why do we still lack peace? We focus our attention on things, people, possessions, success, and most of all, on ourselves. Peace of mind is lost. Emotional turmoil sets in. A battle of wills with the sovereign Lord is engaged. Our bodies receive the brunt of the stress that hits us with full force. In the midst of the turmoil and frustration, if we turn our eyes to the cross, we will see the manifestation of God's love for us that we might know the transfer of peace of heaven to our hearts. And when we accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the cross, his spirit comes to live in us. And we know a peace that passes understanding, a peace that does not stop. Again and again, perfect peace himself comes to us and said, says, had enough, tired and weary, ready for the peace, ready for the peace of peace. Let me give you the power to stay your mind on the Father. Allow me to give you trust, accept my strength. I'm the solid rock on which you stand. Rest in me and now receive <clears throat> a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit of peace. God bless you, my brothers and sisters. May the Prince of Peace stay your minds and relieve us of our worldly thoughts. May Jesus show us the way to serenity, love, and understanding. Peace be with you all. Good night. And that's all I have for you for this evening. Um, it is a very wonderful thing, uh, the peace that God has for us uh, through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And also, um, it seems that we still find ourselves caught up in um, worldly problems. Uh, situations that 